Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I'm so excited to tell you a bit about today's sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, Music Masters Collective hosts different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like Bill Frizzell, Kurt Rosenwinkel, Julian Lodge, Mark Rabot, Wayne Krantz, Oteil Burbridge, the Milk Carton Kids, and so many more. At an event like Alternative Guitar Summit Camp happening this August, you can expect in-depth workshops with guitar masters, once-in-a-lifetime performances, the opportunity to play alongside your favorite musicians, and a lot of fun. You'll leave this event packed full of wisdom and with a whole community of musicians to create with. This all-inclusive week in the Catskills Mountains of Upstate New York is guaranteed to be magical. Scholarships are available, but spots are extremely limited. So visit www.alternativeguitarsummitcamp.com backslash inside to learn more. Osiris. Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to Inside the Musician's Brain. I'm your host, Chris Pandolfi from the infamous String Dusters, and today we are kicking off Season 3 of the podcast, and couldn't be more excited about everything we have coming up, some amazing guests. We're going to explore some new uncharted areas of the musician's brain, hopefully take the podcast out to some live events, assuming that Live events are a go, still a bit of a question mark, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more today. I'm also planning to do a lot more with video this season, really excited about that, getting these interviews up on YouTube, as well as juicy snippets of these interviews and even some content that does not appear in the podcast. So stay tuned to all the regular channels to check that out. I'm planning to have all my String Duster brothers on the show We'll do a deep dive into our new album, Toward the Fray, that's about to come out. Take a look at the songs, the songwriting, how the album came together, all that good stuff. So yeah, lots of fertile ground to cover in the upcoming months. I've got some amazing new sponsors I'm working with this season that I'm really excited about. Orvis is an official sponsor of the podcast, and as many of you know, I am a passionate fly fisherman and conservationist, and 
I've had the opportunity to get to know the good people at Orvis in recent years. They're making some of the most high-quality gear out there for all of your outdoor endeavors. Personally, I'm a huge fan of the Helios fly rods. Amazing action and accuracy. I've caught some incredible fish on those rods. And I'm also just a big fan of this brand. So many of their products are made in the USA. I've actually been up to the factory in Vermont where they employ a ton of local people. And Orvis also just does some amazing work in conservation and we need as much of that as we can get these days so make sure you check out orvis our other sponsor this season is artist works a really cool unique platform that offers online music lessons recorded and taught by 42 different world-renowned master musicians you can learn almost any instrument any genre from electric guitar acoustic guitar piano banjo mandolin fiddle saxophone the list goes on and one of the coolest things about artist works is their patented video exchange learning platform that allows students to submit questions to the faculty in the form of a video and the instructors then create a personal video response full of guidance encouragement and critical next steps to facilitating improvements so if you're looking to up your game or you're taking up a new instrument Head over to artistworks.com, and there are actually some free lessons available on the site. As always, Inside the Musician's Brain is brought to you by Osiris Media. I've been working with Osiris since the inception of this podcast. They've been amazing, and they have all sorts of other great shows. Make sure to check them out. And we're also brought to you by Americana Vibes. That's the infamous String Dusters record label. Stay tuned to Americana Vibes for all kinds of cool new music, new releases coming out in the coming year. Today's guest, a little later in this episode, is the amazing Aoife O'Donovan. Stick around for that interview. Aoife is a great old friend and a fantastic musician who has a new record called Age of Apathy that has just come out. And we're going to talk about that and all kinds of other things. And of course, the unavoidable topic of what it's like to be a musician these days and just how crazy things are. It is uh, a weird, wild time to be alive, to say the very least. And I'm recording this on Tuesday. It's Tuesday, January 11th right now. And we have just come out of the New Year's holiday. And unfortunately, we, the String Dusters, as well as many other bands, had to pull down New Year's shows because, like it or not, the COVID situation drags on. And I guess one thing that I feel like really needs to be expressed is that no one, absolutely no one, is more heartbroken to see these shows come down than we are, than the musicians. And it's just almost an impossible landscape to navigate these days you know, between local guidelines, regulations, federal guidelines, uh, and of course, your health and safety, our health and safety, all of the logistics that go into traveling and making gigs happen. And while I do feel like, generally speaking, things could be headed in the right direction, there still are people getting pretty sick out there, and we've experienced some of that close to the band, so that is impossible to ignore. And, you know, there's just this feeling that we need to be 
available and ready for gigs at all costs. And I know that that has been weighing on me and other musicians that I know. We just recently had to pull down our Bluegrass Generals shows here in Denver. And for those of you who have seen the Generals, you know that it's a really unique awesome, fun weekend of music that Andy Hall and I put a ton of work into. It's super rewarding. We bring together musicians from different bands. We learn each other's material. We play four sets of of unique songs. And it was just absolutely heartbreaking to pull those shows down. But we in the generals this year, we had Andrew Altman from Railroad Earth on bass, Michael Travis from String Cheese on the drums, and Paul Hoffman from Green Sky Bluegrass on mandolin. And we all have big obligations to our bands that all have huge shows right on the heels of that generals weekend to be healthy, be ready, and to do everything we can to get out there and make these shows go off just because we've missed so many shows in the last couple of years. So I feel like another part of what I want to say today is, is just a PSA to try and be as understanding as you possibly can to musicians, to our crews, our teams. And I know that a lot of you are, and I, I may be preaching to the choir, but I also see some of the commentary out there and know that some gigs are canceled and others are not, and there's an issue of optics involved. And I'm just here to tell you that for us, there is really nothing easy about this. It's been incredibly difficult. We agonize over these decisions. We hate to see shows get canceled. We've, we've put our lives into creating this music, building these fan bases. Believe me when I say there's nothing at this point that we would rather do than get out there and bring this whole equation to life together. Set the music in motion. You all do your thing. And, you know, that that's we, we miss that. We need that. You know, right now, it almost feels like we're working 10 times as hard for one-tenth of the income. And when I say income, I don't just mean money. You know, the, the spiritual payoff of being able to get out there and share this experience with everyone is, that's what we live for. But unfortunately, needless to say, over the past few years, we've just had to cancel one gig after the next, and it's been hard on all of us. And I, I guess part of the message that I want to get out there today is that we don't take a single one of these decisions lightly. And every possible thing that we can do to make these gigs happen, we do it. So please be grateful for the music that you can see and try to recognize the amount of work that's going into making shows and tours happen and know that we will not rest until we've exhausted every possible option in terms of getting out there and bringing you all live music. And if we take a second to zoom out from just the music world, We've all got to remember that we are in this thing together. And part of me, my heart just breaks that the effect of COVID is that we need to avoid other human beings. This is like the last thing the world needs right now. We really need to be 
coming together and embracing the fact that we are a group and we function as a group, human beings, people in your local community, people all over the world. And the more that we can embrace that and embrace the idea that we need to help each other out and we need to be respectful of people who don't believe what we believe and everything just feels so divisive right now to the point that it feels like we we all need to be actively counteracting that trend and the better that we work together the more we help each other out the quicker that we will get through this all and the better off we will be i was thinking about this intro and i was imagining what if what if a pandemic came along where the cure or the thing that was required was that you had to not avoid your fellow humans, but actually go out and gain a deeper understanding of them. Uh, like that's where the immunity was at. You had to go talk to a stranger and be respectful and try to see eye to eye on something. It's about the exact opposite of what's going on, but only we can change that. And the sooner that we embrace this idea that we're better off together, the sooner that we figure out how to respect each other's views and cut each other some slack and help each other out, of course, take care of ourselves so that so that we can have a little extra energy in the tank to look after the other people in our lives. So that's that's what I'm trying to do. And, you know, it's a work in progress like it is for everyone, but I really believe that that is the best way forward. All right, let's jump ahead now to my interview with Aoife O'Donovan. For those of you who don't know Aoife, she's a Grammy award-winning artist, a member of the amazing ensemble I'm With Her, also a special guest with the Goat Rodeo Sessions. Truly some amazing music, and she has a new record that has just come out called Age of Apathy. Here we go. Past the farms and the festival Listening to the Hudson Valley breeze Oh, to be born in the age of apathy Nothing's got a hold on you If you need someone to hold, you can hold me All right, we're here on Inside the Musician's Brain And my guest today is a dear, dear friend Who I have known before I knew any string dusters before I knew so many people in our scene, we go back to the early days in Boston and she has had such an amazing prolific career, so many amazing projects. We're gonna talk about as many of them as we can today. Aoife O'Donovan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Chris, great to, great to see you on this screen. I know, it's great to see you too. It takes me back to the glory days. <laughs> the- it's really, it's like, it's like a full 20 years. It's actually more than 20 years, I feel like. Um, 2001, is, 2001 is when I landed in Boston. Yeah, and that's, what, that's definitely the year that I met you was that, that summer, probably, at the Cantab. Or the fall. Did you come in the fall? Um, I came in the fall. So okay. 20 years ago, like today is when we could have met. So, <laughs> so crazy. So crazy. And that was, a, that was a magical time, wouldn't you agree? It really was. It was like a combination of... I don't know. It's it's it feels so um, ridiculous to be at the age where you reminisce and you think about how much better everything was back in the day. But fuck it, like <laughs> that's just how it is. It was better. It was a the- really magical time. Just so many, 
great musicians and we had this really cool unique thing which was the Cantab Lounge and Tuesday nights. And I lived in Boston for three years and you remember my roommate, of course, Jeremy J-Rob. Oh, um, and we, we did the math one time and we figured out that for those three years that we were in Boston, we were at the Cantab Lounge every single Tuesday night doing the bluegrass thing and just mixing with this really cool group of humans and musicians. And among that group was Crooked still, you know, Greg and Rashad and of course, Corey. And, you know, you guys were, what year did you guys officially get rolling as a band? 2001. I mean, but it's, it's, it, it also, I mean, Andy Hall was around that exact same time. So you did probably meet one string duster around the same time as well, you met me. Andy left just before I got to Boston, he moved to Nashville. So I actually met him for the first time in the fall of 2001 when he came back. That was when I met Critter and Andy at the same time in that right. in the fall. So sometime right before that, you know, we were we were a part of this amazing scene. And I don't know if you saw this in the news recently, but the Cantab has you know been acquired, and Bluegrass Nights on Tuesday is making a comeback. Which it was yeah, it heart. was really special. I think that the the thing also that that I don't know, it's something that I kind of I was talking about this actually with Noam recently, where it's like, why don't why don't we jam as much as we did when we were twenty? You know, like and it's 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 I don't know. I mean, I don't. I don't. Do you? Great question, and that's actually come up amongst you know our our group as well. And no, we don't jam as much, and I think. One factor that plays into it is music as your career evolves, it takes on a different role in your life. Totally. And it, it becomes <clears throat> almost a more sort of serious endeavor. And and it's and it can be tough, I think, to compartmentalize like, okay, this is just like recreational music. And you're right. We should I say that all the time. And I've actually been over to Andy Hall's because he lives here in Denver, just to pick and and feel that almost pure kind of joy that you were so tapped into back in the day. And of course, as your career evolves, it's not all bad. It's just music takes on this different meaning. Wouldn't you agree? It's right. a thing, a oh, thing that sure. demands a different energy, especially like when you perform and then that bleeds into all your practice and preparation, but it just kind of becomes a different thing. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's even thinking about like when you spend even like writing or when you sort of have your, you're in your zone and you're in your writing room and you're, you go and you like write music by yourself for hours and hours. And then you come out. It's like almost like you need, I feel like now that I am older, I need more of a break or I just like have more of the thing where I just want to like read my book or go for a walk or like, whereas I feel like when I was younger and I had school or I had, you know, my babysitting jobs or whatever music, music was that thing. Music That's was right. the thing that you did to relax. You know what I mean? And it That's still right. is in a lot of ways. Like it's, it's just, it's just different. Well, that brings up a great point. I think it is important to do whatever you can to really remain tapped into that joyful, restorative oh, sure. part of music. And it does, it does take a little effort as, as things go along. And Shows, I, I remember back in the day, like when the string dressers were on tour in the early years, oh my God, I would go on a show day, I would like go skiing and then go out and have a few beers. And then and I would like never do that these days. You know, the I know it's, so, <laughs> it's so funny <laughs> thinking about like being 39 and having like 
three beers before a show. Like, I mean, I just like, I would just die. Utter insanity. Like impossible. I mean, we, do you remember being in Big Sky and like the, what we would get up to in Big Sky from like nine in the morning till four in the afternoon and like how much we would pack into those days before doing like three hour sets and then jamming at the fire with like Vince Herman till four in the morning. Like it's really... I would, have, kind of, I would have had three beers before the night was even like vaguely underway at Big yeah. Sky, Montana. And for those who don't know, this was this, this amazing event, another kind of golden era when the String Dusters and Crooked Still, for those, that early period of like three, four, five years where we were Big Sky, Big Grass. I think, I think it was like, I think it was at least three, if not four, five. Yeah. But it was definitely, it, was, it just, it felt, it was so cool. And it was sort of this like reunion of sorts because, you know, we had all kind of moved into our careers and moved away from Boston and then we would come together. And the last year that we were in Big Sky, I think the String Dusters stayed for like nine days before they finally <laughs> kicked us out of there. But they took good care of us. It was worth it. Oh, God. That was so great. I know. Well, l- let's talk a little bit more about Crooked Still because you guys, and I know that's that's really where your career began. And you know, Absolutely. We, we, we had this amazing fertile scene in Boston and, and you guys kind of grew out of that. And it was so cool to see what Crooked Still created. You know, your guys had those two amazing records, Hop High, Shaken by a Low Sound. Those have become like, to me, really influential records, especially at this time when string band music is morphing and evolving into all these really cool things, taking from bluegrass, these really sort of like virtuosic, amazing elements of the playing, the singing and songwriting. You guys were just so ahead of your time. What, you know, to take us inside sort of the formation and the vision of that band and what, what all that was like. Yeah, it's almost like I don't think a band like Crooked Still could necessarily even exist at this point. Like, or I mean, I don't. I think that if, if Crooked Still had started now, it just wouldn't be what it was. There's something about just kind of how, how not how like out of touch we were, but how how the the access that we all had in 2000 2001 was just very different to to what was going on really anywhere. I think that the new bands starting now have so much more access to like to all kinds of music. There's there's videos on YouTube. YouTube didn't exist when we started Crooked Still. Facebook didn't exist. All these all these ways, I mean, streaming was like just starting, but it was really Napster and it was sort of like the early days of, it was kind of before iTunes even existed. Um, so you really, to discover music, you really had to like go to the record store and get the CD or go to like HMV and put it, I mean, it was just like a different way to kind of yeah. learn music and get source material and um, and we started our band like because we we wanted to re I mean really like re reinterpret these old standards it's like songs that that I think nowadays people would be like oh why are you going to do those like quaint old songs you could just write new songs and one of the things that I, I actually in retrospect I'm really happy that we we did was was not necessarily become like a band of all original music we really did just sort of stick to these old classics and put our own spin on them. And that's not to say that all the members of the band are, you know, I, I feel like everybody's gone on to write music and to create tons of music. I don't think that was something that we were limited by because we couldn't do it. It was more, we were, we, we put that limit on ourselves to sort of, I don't know, guide us down this way that this path that felt like the road less traveled or something. So to that end though, in terms, cause it's a great point, you know, the, so much has changed in the past 20 years and the way that musical influences travel the world and hit people. And then 
have an effect on new bands that form and new music that created like what were you guys listening to and what what were some of the things that spurred you in that direction not only from an instrumentation standpoint because obviously cello was not necessarily the norm especially the way that rashad played it you know he was kind of had his whole kind of creation moment too you know of being really unique but what what were some bands and some things that that you you think influenced you guys I think that, like, I mean, of course, like the bands that were that were really big coming up in the '90s, like Allison Krauss and Union Station. But then also, I mean, bands like, I mean, Tony Rice, the Tony Rice Unit, like things that sort of classic bluegrass sound. And then going back into sort of older stuff, like we listened to a lot of Ricky Skaggs, a lot of Fat and Scruggs, a lot of old Doc Watson family recordings, and then cool. some Tim O'Brien, some Dirk Powell, sort of like these sort of more kind of modern people who came, you know went on to become friends and collaborators. Um, but when we were just getting started, it was sort of, it was, it was crazy. It's crazy to think that when we made Some Strange Country with Britney and Tristan, when the band kind of had evolved, that Ricky Skaggs and Tim O'Brien sang on that record, you know, that hmm. like, that was nine years after the band started. But, um, it was, th those were our, I never would have imagined that, that that's where it would have gone, you know, yeah. when I was 18 years old listening to those records and those people were just my absolute heroes. And that's, but that's also one of the things that I think is so special about our whole scene in general is that there is this accessibility with the sort of legends and the heroes. And you do end up often being in, in situations where you might be backstage with Alison Cross and you might get to, to meet her and, and she might get to hear your set. And I think that that's really special for young musicians to, to really be given those opportunities because it, it's, really, it's just incredible. Well, when I think of Crooked Still, I think originality and and like just even down to the band members you know Corey had he he had a sound that was kind of like derivative like of barry bales thing just like driving and really like laying mm -hmm. on that root note your singing was already incredible back then and then of course you had greg who's playing banjo greg list who's playing banjo with four finger picks and no one was doing that and and it wasn't just a novelty like greg is a complete badass you know and then you had rashad who is still out there doing his insane Rashad thing. He's a great follow on Instagram for those of you who, who need to, to mix up your feed um, and want to see a guy hanging upside down from a tree playing cello somewhere <laughs> half naked. But I'm just amazed at, I mean, all that originality under one roof. And then, of course, you know, Tristan and Brittany too, you know, the, the band sort of. Was that, you know, did you, I'm curious, did you guys think that that would be, your thing forever more, and then was the that the end of that initial lineup kind of unexpected? I mean, no. I, I think that that's that's the other thing that that I was. I just actually did another interview and sort of talking about this. When Crooked still started, it was never. I think one of the things that held us back is also the the reason why we were able to be a band for as long as we were which okay. is that we were never a full time. We never sort of said, okay, we're going to say yes to everything. We're going to go full hog. We're going to do the opening tours. We're going to like live like a band because mm. everybody kind of was always wanting to do other stuff. And people had, people had their you know, irons in a lot of different fires. And I think that when Rashad left the band in 2006 or I guess 2007, when Rashad left the band in 2007, it felt like the natural end of that. And I'm not, yeah, I don't know if anybody sort of could have predicted that we would have gone on for four, I guess, five more years, no, four more years after that um, with Britney and Tristan. But I, we definitely recorded a lot more music with Britney and Tristan than we did with mm. Rashad. So it's, it's just funny. Like, I feel like the band it was so cool. We did our reunion shows right before the pandemic in December of 2019. 
Rashad was in town in Boston for our last show. And it was really, I mean, like, it, it, it made me cry just being on stage with Rashad and Brittany and Tristan and just sort of thinking about, uh, yeah, about, about this band that we started that, you know, the torch got passed. And now it just is, now that we're not really a touring band anymore, but we can still get together and make music and kind of all share the stage. And ha- it just, it's, it was a really, really cool experience. Uh, and you guys will still occasionally, you know, there will be the odd crooked still show going. Oh forward. yeah, yeah. We, did a tell- okay. we, we played a, we played a Telluride this past summer, yeah, which was so fun. Um, that was just that kind of came out of nowhere. Craig emailed our manager and was like, "Hey, can we get crooked still for Telluride?" And I remember Ben emailing us, and we were like. Yeah, <laughs> he's doing anything else. I know. I was sad to see. We were on the week. We were on the, the weekend the before. Weekend I before. Know, yeah. yeah, but I'm so. I'm glad to know that that you know I'll have a chance to see you guys sometime yeah, it's, again it's... in the future. And so, moving on from there, because I know that was really kind of the advent of you know your career in music. But you've just gone on to have this incredible, prolific career you know, all these different acts, sometimes why I'm with her goat rodeo. And, and really quick, before we jump into all that, I should say you have a new album coming. We're, we're talking here end of, or is it beginning of December? Beginning of December. Yeah. Beginning of December, 2021. So I think, um, by the time this airs, your new record will have just come out January, right? Um, age of apathy. And so you, you got that on the way and you have a bunch of new stuff, singles that have come out and we're going we're gonna to get to chatting about all that. But I'm just curious to know a little bit more about, so Crooked Still is wrapping up and then, you know, you're looking forward to the next phase. And was the concept to do something like you have done or did you think that you'd be more of a solo artist? Were some of these things brewing or, I mean, how did all this amazingness unfold? I don't really, I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I think I've always done a lot of, I, I had always done a lot of collaborating, even when I was, when Crooked Soul was kind of going strong. I had this trio with Kristen and Ruthie, which was called Sometimes Why, and we put out a couple of records in like the mid-2000s and yeah. did, you know, but that was that was very much a side project. We did a couple of tours, but that was sort of never going to be a, um, anybody's main thing because everybody was so busy. I did some sub gigs. Like, I mean, I, I remember I went on tour with Alison Brown and sang with her. I went on, I went on tour with Olabelle when Amy Helm had a baby. Like, just a lot of random stuff. Kind of, um, I don't know, just like getting my chops, which I, I think a lot of that stuff was actually really helpful um, for me just to make me a better musician and just sort of put me in these situations where I had yeah. to learn a lot of music, um, be able to do a lot of things at once, but just be able to be really dependable and, you know, consistent and I think that that's something that that has definitely been really helpful in in sort of the the next ten or fifteen years of my of my career, which have just kind of taken me in lots of different kind of like weird directions. Where I'll be like, oh gosh, I'm doing this. I did a record with Dave Douglas. That was like, you know, then that, that actually started from a project. Now I can't remember. Did that actually start with the Greg Garrison thing? I think that did. I think I met Dave Douglas in Denver through Greg Garrison at his series that he did. At, um, they played together a bunch. Yeah. And then I met Dave and then, then I ended up making a record with him and teaching at the Banff Jazz Festival, um, that workshop. So like a lot of, a lot of things just kind of happened. So I, I don't know. I don't remember what the question was, but how well, did I see it going? So, so tell me, how did, um, how did Goat Rodeo come together? Because that I know that was 2011, so that's pretty like early on in the yeah, arc that, of all that was this. Like, yeah, yeah, so that was right before the end of Crooked Still. And I remember actually Crooked Still's last tour 
started at the end of the Goat Rodeo first press tour. So I didn't do the Colbert show with Goat Rodeo because I flew to Seattle to play the Tractor Tavern with Crooked Still. That was like night one of our tour. (laughs) (laughs) Decisions. Um, Uh, And and for those those who don't know, uh, Goat Rodeo is... Yo-Yo Ma, Edgar Meyer, Chris Thiele, and Stuart Duncan, and then Aoife is a frequent collaborator. But so, hey, yeah, so that that's early on, like I say, in the arc of things. How did that materialize? That materialized, I think that was sort of at the beginning of my kind of musical relationship with Chris, um, which was, I, I, we, we had met, I mean, years before that, probably around the same time I met you, maybe 2000, maybe even earlier, um, just at festivals when he was with Nickel Creek, but we kind of became friends around 2005, 2006 and started, you know, jamming. That would, that was like, you know, we'd be at a jam or after a festival backstage, just singing together. And around the time that they were starting to conceptualize Goat Rodeo, I know that they wanted vocals involved and, and they asked me to, to do those, to do, to be a part of it. So we wrote those two songs. Um, Chris and I wrote Here in Heaven together and Chris and Edgar and Stewart wrote the other song on the record, No One But You. And I uh, went to Massachusetts, recorded it, and then did that whole press tour and the big tour uh, a couple years later. And yeah, and then it happened again. We did what's the, it whole, like, the whole thing again. What's it like playing with those guys? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's mind-blowing. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's almost indescribable because those musicians, while all sharing a similar level of virtuosity, are all actually very different musicians. Um, and so getting to see Yo-Yo play with Chris, like they're two complete geniuses, but they, they come at it from totally different places. Um, and, and sort of seeing how they can work together. And it's, it's funny because when I first was on that tour, when I first went and made that record, it was in, it was 2011. So I was 28 years old, I guess that summer of 2011. Um, and I don't even think I realized what a big deal it was when I was doing it. Uh, it was one of those things that you're sort of like, oh, cool, like I'm going to go do this thing. And, and here I am with Yo-Yo Ma at James Taylor's barn. And there's James Taylor. And there's you know, Edgar Meyer and Stuart Duncan. It's sort of like, I don't even think it, it registered to me like the, 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 the weight of the situation that I was in. So you um, stepped into that and it was, it sounds like it was pretty comfortable. It wasn't like all of a sudden you were like, whoa, I'm in this foreign environment where I really need to perform it, it. The music was just elevated by all this energy. It really was. And it's also, I think because, because, uh, Chris and I especially were kind of coming from, you know, I felt like he was my peer and, and we, we could, we had done all these songs, jams together and played a bunch together and recording here in heaven, especially recording live in a circle. It really did just feel like we were jamming the song. And that, that's what's really cool, I think, about recording with that group is that everything was done live and that there, there is this energy of like, all right, we just have to do it and we have to do it and it has to be great every single time we do it. Um, and just the, like, like the, the stakes are high. You know, it's not, it's not the situation where you're isolated and you can go do your part afterwards or you've got a click in one ear and, you know, you can get more of yourself yeah. in the cans. It's just, that's just not how it is. Well, I'm not, I'm not so really worried about be... you guys. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a new record that um, came out, 2020, not our first came out right. Yeah. Not our first goat rodeo. Um, and there's a song, one of the songs on there, we were animals that you're on. So cool. It's, I actually wrote the words to that song up in lions, Colorado, okay. actually, um, right after Rocky one. grass. Uh, uh, yeah, that, that one was really fun to play live and actually playing, playing that music live this past summer was really special. And I think because that tour came after 
you know, a year, more than a year of not really touring and to get back on stage and have that be the ensemble that you're sort of going to these, being at Red Rocks with Goat Rodeo and and doing that music was just like, that is an experience I will never forget and that I'm so grateful for. I bet. I mean, it's such an incredible lineup of players, but when you listen to the music, you guys have an ensemble sound. And that's such a virtue. You know, I always say I, I love a band because you're hearing more than the sum of the parts and you're hearing the shared experience and you're hearing all of what these people have learned, not just to do as individuals, but together as a group. And and I guess, I don't know, for a super group like that, you might think that it sounds a little bit more like these amazing individualistic voices, but I think it's got this amazing ensemble sound. It's just incredible. It's really cool. And I think that Stuart, like Stuart and Yo-Yo, this, the, you know, violin and cello, the uh, two instruments that you would think would have a lot in common in terms of, you know, in an orchestral setting, in a string quartet setting, these melody, beautiful melodic instruments, how they come at it, I think is, is a really interesting, there's, there's, a, there's a total difference in that. Stuart is just all improvisation, all feel, it's all in the moment with Stuart. He's just, he's one of those people that our scene has just, you know, held up to such like people just worship Stuart because nobody nobody comes up with little melodies like Stuart does you know and then I think Yo-Yo is is just such an interpreter of melody you know how he that that that's really how he came to prominence is, is playing this classical repertoire and being able to interpret these melodies so I love that they're I just love hearing in in the goat rodeo music how they play off each other, how the melody sort of gets passed from one to the other, and how you hear Stuart interpret it, and then you hear Yo-Yo interpret it. I think it's a really, really beautiful thing. Stuart Duncan, for those of you who haven't checked him out, as Aoife said, is he he holds a unique place in our world where everyone just looks up to him so much. And I know he you know, he's played on a few of my records, and I'm always blown away listening to the playback or sitting in on the sessions. You know, most, the vast majority of players in our world, you know, they develop an idea over takes or in their approach to a song. <laughs> yeah. And you hear this guy and he plays the song and then he goes to play it another time and it's nothing like it was the time before. And I mean nothing. It's almost this completely original concept. And that's just so, I'm in awe of that. But it's that, but all, but each take is similarly musical and rich and so i think that that's that to me is the biggest difference because i feel like you can anybody can go say oh i'm going to do it differently this time and they'll do it differently but it's like one is clearly not good and the other (laughs) is good and stewart stewart is just like it's every time he plays a solo every time he fills i like listening to him play fills behind a song like that's just that's just nobody does it like he does it's so he does it differently but it's still really awesome every time it's really good exactly we'll get back to my interview with Aoife after this very short break from the gas pump to the grocery store inflation is everywhere seriously make it stop thankfully there's one company out there that's giving you a much needed break it's Mint Mobile As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save a ton with phone plans starting at just $15 a month. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. To get your new wireless plan for just $15 a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. That's mintmobile.com slash switch. 
What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talk to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. Let's talk about let's talk about I'm with her. Is I'm with her the coolest band ever? I mean, <laughs> I can't say. They're, those those girls are are really my dearest. I just adore them so much. I know. I love to observe the camaraderie that you guys have because that really informs the music, and it's so genuine. And Sarah Jeroz and Sarah Watkins have both been guests on the podcast, know, so we've got the trifecta today. You guys have such a great thing going on and you know it's just such like kindred spirits on stage and i assume that originated sort of in a similar way you, you've probably been crossing paths with those ladies forever yeah crossing paths forever and um when we actually finally got together and started playing music together it was a telluride in 2015 and it, something just clicked and it's crazy because that was you know six years ago and every time we, we were just together this past weekend actually um in la uh, just sort of reconnecting and, and working a little bit on some new music, but mostly just, just kind of hanging out. We, there's just this, this, something about the way the three of us are, our personalities and our musical personalities that just is very, it just works. It's, it's like, there's not a lot of conflict. And that's not to say that we don't disagree because we often disagree, but the way that we work through disagreements is just like, I feel, I just, I wish that I had that in every relationship in my life. It's just, it's really easy to, to be around them and it's really easy to make music with them. Um, and when we sing together, when we're all actually in the moment of a song, it's a feeling that it's just, it's the feeling. It's like the feeling that all musicians are, are going for at all times. It's like the, the thing yeah. you just, you're, that's what you're, you're, you want. Every time you play music, you want to have that feeling. It seems like the vocal blend is a rare and sublime thing that that takes me to that place where it's like when because and, and just seeing you guys and you know we've had some i'm with her dusters collab and just hearing you got the best of grand yeah, targi that was so fun hearing you guys blend your voices together is just something really really special and you guys have you have one full album out right see you around See you around. Yep. And then we have uh, just the one single, Call My Name. And what's, what's the future look like for I'm With Her? I think that we'd all love to make another record. And there, we're definitely talking about that. It's just a matter of, of timing. But I, I think that the band, I would say the band is, is going strong. And, and new music will definitely be down the pike at some point. Just can't, can't say for sure. Awesome. When. Well, lucky us. 
And sp- <laughs> lucky us. <laughs> speaking of new music, you have been busy. And if you go to Aoife's Spotify page, which you have a ton of followers on there, which is so awesome. You know, people are really taking note of this stuff. And I was blown away. You have a bunch of new singles that have come out this year. Some of those singles are going to appear on, are appearing on your new record. And some of them are just kind of like one-off collaborations. So take us through, you know, the pandemic era for you. And do you feel like it really kicked off, uh, a period of songwriting that now we're kind of seeing the results of, or was it always the plan to kind of push more forward with your solo stuff? How did that all kind of come together? It's funny. I think that, so right when the pandemic hit, it was March of 2020 and I had just put out a record of, uh, that I made with string quartet. So it was with Jeremy Kittle and Brittany and Paul, um, and a violist named Mario Goto. So we recorded this little song cycle that I had written with Jeremy and another friend of ours, Teddy Abrams, and Lakes of Pontchartrain and Hazel Dickens' Pretty Bird. So we, we had this five-song EP. We were about to go tour it, played one show, pandemic hit, door closed. Went home to New York and proceeded to, like everybody else, just kind of try to churn out random live stream stuff. Like I did a bunch of stuff with my husband and my brother-in-law who play cello and violin, did a bunch of random solo things, you know, like what we mm-hmm. all did. And it started to feel pretty, um, just pretty soulless after a while, just to keep on getting up there and doing random stuff for my iPhone or for, you know, for, for whatever. I just, I really did not like that. Um, ended up doing that for about six months. The, one of the things that, that was great was that I did a live stream of the Bruce Springsteen record, Nebraska, from start to finish. And I was really psyched and proud of that. That I ended up releasing this past summer, yeah. which um, I'm, stoked at how that came out because just did the live stream, never listened to it, never thought about it again. And then my manager was like, Hey, I'm putting that on Bandcamp this weekend. And I was like, okay, whatever. So it got released. And then I was like driving and I was like, Oh, I guess I should check it out. And I listened to it and I'm like, all right, that, that was cool. That happened. And now it's out there. And that's a good thing. I did something. At least I did, at least I did something worthwhile for the first six <laughs> months of the pandemic. Um, so fast forward to September of 2020, I came down to Florida, which is where I'm currently living and something about the change in scenery and the uh, just the sort of availability of more space, indoor and outdoor space for me to write and kind of get into a zone. I just started to write a lot more music. Um, I was working at a studio here uh, and was able to sort of demo stuff really easily and kind of just get into the zone. And yeah, I just started. So once I started, I kind of couldn't stop. <laughs> that's, that's, that's still where I'm at. Well, I love some of these new songs. They're beautiful. Thanks. They're great. And there's an awesome evolution of your sound because one of, the, one of my favorite things about hosting this podcast is it really kind of like forces me to listen to a go deep dive on some of my friends' music, which, you know, I wouldn't necessarily go all the way into. But I did listen to, you know, you had your first couple solo records, you had fossils you had in the magic hour and then you kind of had like a solo rendition ep of some of the in the magic hour stuff and there's an awesome progression happening and now like there's this really cool new stuff and really cool lyrically musically and also from a production standpoint curious to know so age of apathy what is that song about so that's a song It's kind of was, it's basically the centerpiece of the record in a lot of ways. That song is about 
driving a road trips about being young about being in love about going from festival to festival and and sort of through it all kind of losing it losing that feeling like it's it's almost like you know when you are in love or you're heartbroken you kind of have this feeling and I talk about it in the song but when you're out of it you wonder like am I ever going to have that feeling again am I ever going to get back to that place and that song is kind of about there's a moment in the song where where I sing about being at the Christian Science Center on September 12th. And we all remember what it was like, like into the, right after September 11th, we thought the world, I mean, everything changed like for yeah. us, I think. And I think how basically when I kind of had that realization about a year ago, that that happened almost 20 years previous. Now it's been a full 20 years. And the in the 20 years since, it's like I've gone from being, you know, 18 to 38 or now I'm 39 but like, that's my whole adulthood was sort of like in the shadow of 9-11 leading up to the pandemic. And it feels like these two crazy events that one started at, at you know, I was still a kid. I kind of turned the page, yeah. became an adult, had all these big experiences and, and at some point kind of like lost the thread of what am I supposed to be feeling? Like what, what are, what is, what is it all? It's almost like you, you sort of look at yourself and you're like, what, <laughs> what's happening? What's the yeah. point? What makes me feel? Sure. And I think that's that's kind of what I was thinking about when I wrote that song and, and, and pretty much the whole record, actually, in a lot of ways. It's, pr- it's a cool, evocative, you know, oh, to be born in the age of apathy. And I know what you mean. There's just this, there's this feeling, energy around your life and the early pursuits of your life. And there's like a blissful not knowing. And the magic is that you don't know. You're just going, right. you know. And then, right. and then as you get a little older, an awareness comes in and it serves a purpose too. But then, you know, like you start to get old, like, like we're getting (laughs) and you're like, and and you, and you just, you see, you look back on things in a different way and you see where those awarenesses come in. And and like every time it's sort of a curse and a blessing, you know, it helps you move things along in one area, but also it takes you away from something that's so like prime that kind of you have early on. Yeah, and I think it's also just just the, the sort of onslaught of information that I think has really there, there's there's such a profound shift in how we consumed information between 2001 to to now. I know, right? Um, and it's not it's it's music, it's news, it's it's what other people are doing, it's everything. But I, I find myself just so often feeling just totally numb to it, and I, I think that's I don't know, like that that's the part that really that really bums me out. And, and I, I'm kind of constantly trying to find things to consume art, to read, to listen to music that, that gives me that yeah. feeling again, like that just sort of makes me have a strong emotional reaction or physical reaction to some art. Sure. No, I couldn't agree more. And I feel like a lot of what you're talking about is just being present in the space that you're yeah, in. And, exactly. and, and the idea that as time has evolved, just the consumption of news and the, and and whatever it is that takes you out of the present place and time or with the people that you're in yeah it's just amazing to observe how that has evolved and not necessarily in a good way you know and when you when you talk about arts and creation and inspiration i do think a lot of that is predicated on being present with the energy, the people, the place, and it's, it's kind of slipping away in some pretty fundamental ways. You got to cultivate. Yeah. It's, you know, you, you definitely do. And I think that that's something that I've been, 
thinking about so much lately, I've kind of gotten really back into a big reading of fiction kick. Like I've always loved reading fiction and I've, I've always been a big reader. But uh, when I had my daughter, I basically took like a year off of reading. It just, I just like, could not focus on, I think new moms say this often. And before I had a kid, I was like, how could you not read for a whole year? Um, but I didn't. And when I kind of got back into it, it, it's now, especially like when, now that I'm writing so much more, I think like consistently than I ever have, I'm so fascinated by how people write novels. Like, how do you edit a novel? Like, I just, I just don't know how somebody edits a novel. Like, cause editing, even editing like a three or four minute song or editing anything short feels like it takes so <laughs> What are you reading? I'm right now. I'm almost done with Matrix. It's a new novel by Lauren Groff, okay. um, who I love. She's a Florida writer. Um, I just read The Night Watchman by Louise Erdick right before this. Fiction is a great um, way, I feel like, to spur some creativity and just t- it, it take really, you to a place. It so yeah. is. Exactly. And it takes you, it's like fiction, fiction is so great, for especially for songwriters or for musicians, because it's just, it's just creating a scene. It's like setting, it's walking into a storybook. It's just like, I love it so much. And I, I always have, and I feel like, as an adult, it's even it's even better than it was. At the so day. you mentioned a, mi- a minute ago, you are now mom. Congrats, which is awesome. And I was really curious Thanks. to just, you know, hear a little bit from you about how that has changed your perspective as a human, as an artist, what themes are coming up and, you know, how how has that changed you? Huh. Well, I mean, it's inevitable that being a parent will change you know, certain things. Um, my daughter's four. She's incredible. I think that the the biggest thing that's changed for me probably in the last year and a half, kind of simultaneously, you know, she was two and a half when the pandemic started and now she's four is kind of thinking about like where we want to be and where, where and how we want to live. And I'm, I'm not sure. It's just, it's impossible to know what we would be doing now if the pandemic hadn't happened, you know, like how life would be because the way it was before it was like just constantly on the go. And we lived in New York and she would come with me or she would, you know, my parents would come and stay with her in New York or she would drop her off at my parents' house and I would go, or she would go with Eric and they would fly and meet me places. But now that, that we're here and she's in school and she's older, it's sort of like, I I just really want to make sure that when I'm away from her, it's, it's for reasons that are, that are really important. It's for shows that are really important. And it's for things that are going to make me really happy because I do love playing music. And I, it's really important to me that I continue to play live shows and to, to be on tour. I love being on tour. I'm like, I'm a road dog. I know you are too. It's just sort of like, I mean, I still love it. Do you still love it? I do. But what you're saying, you know, we are so lucky in that we get to cultivate and curate the experience to where, you know, we've had a chance to mold things so that we get to, you know, that's a huge part of what keeps it fun and satisfying. And yeah, I do love going on tour. And some people are just so surprised to hear that after all these years. But the point is that it's evolving and going somewhere, you know, and it's like new opportunities and new cool things to do. But this amazing community that keeps, you know, sort of intact and even growing, you know, so all of those things. Yeah, it's such a gift to be able to get out there and play music. It really is. And it's, and it's the playing and it's the playing for the audience, but it's also, there's just something about tour life that it's, it's hard to even describe what it's like to somebody who hasn't done it or who doesn't love it. 
But I remember being in like being in the van on a show this summer and like, you know, piling into a minivan and driving the 45 minutes back to an airport hotel. And even that, like even like just getting in the van and like having this hilarious conversation Mm -hmm. about nothing on the way to the hotel and then like getting a Coors Light from the hotel bar, you know, just like this sort of random stuff that, that feels totally dumb. And if you take it out of the context, it's like, why would that be fun to you? But there's just something about it that is fun when you're on tour and when you're all doing it together. I know, I know, you know exactly what, I mean? what you mean. And there sounds like, you know, take advantage of a real camaraderie that's formed. And then when you're out on the road with people who you love doing it with. But I know for me, a lot of times when I finally like get my bags packed and I'm flying out to go meet the tour bus and we've got like a, you know, eight or nine day run, I almost feel like when I get to the airport, I, I like relax, you know, I'm go, I know. I, I'm, <laughs> no. I'm when I'm home, I'm just like, you know, I definitely suffer from an overactive brain and I'm just trying to like work on music and figure out, you know, take care of myself and keep all these things in balance. But then somehow when I leave for tour, it's like, and this goes back to a little bit of what we were saying before, where music evolves and it becomes this different experience. And now, you know, the show is this, it's the big centerpiece of the day and, and the rest of the day I, right. I, I keep it, you know, pretty low key and it's just sort of all working toward that. But the experience of that whole thing. And then of course the camaraderie with the, the, our, you know, band and crew, we've just got such a great team. And, and then you get to this point where the hotel Coors light makes you happy. And you're like, I think I'm doing something right here. <laughs> <laughs> It's so, it's so totally, that's such a, that's so well put. It is, there is this level of relaxation that happens when you, yeah, I, I totally, totally feel that. And I think that since having Ivy Joe, or even since kind of going back on tour since the pandemic started, like I feel, um, it was, it was good for me to realize this summer when I started playing shows again and, and went away from her for the first time in a year and a half, because you know, the first year, the first two years of her life, I was away from her all the time. You know, like she, she came on tour with us, as I'm sure Sarah told you, the two babies, Sarah's baby and my baby, they were on tour with, I'm with her on the bus for the first like year and a half of their lives. But we left them, you know, we, we went to Europe for a tour and we left the babies in Paris and we, we like did four cities in Europe without the babies when they were six months old. I remember like, you know, getting stopped at the airport in Berlin because I had this like suitcase full of breast milk and they were like, well, where's the baby? And I was like, I don't have the baby. That's why I have the milk. We left the babies in Paris. Um, Yeah. I was like, we left the babies. She's at the Luxembourg gardens. Um, that's like literally where, where they were. Um, but we, we were so lucky in that we had that experience at the beginning. We had this great tour life on a bus with the two kids and with this incredible crew and a nanny. And it was just like a family. And and I feel so lucky that we kind of got to parent in that way, in that environment. And, and, and now I'm, I'm really looking forward to taking Ivy Joe to stuff this coming summer when she, you know, that that's like the great thing about touring in the summer when your kid's in school is that she'll get to sort of have that kind of festival life. But I also do think that I want her to have a consistent home life as well. And I want her to be able to, to do things that she loves and to excel at things that, that she wants to excel at. I don't want to, I kind of don't really want to be dragging her around places because then I don't know. It's not, doesn't feel like it's as good for her. What a, yeah. You know? But I mean, I, of course, what a cool experience. I mean, just to grow up around that, you can't put a price on that. That's just so, no, so no, amazing. For, for sure. For sure. But I think it's also like just thinking back to like what our parents did for us, you know, it's like music lessons and all these things that your parents sort of have to commit sure. to, to giving you the tools to succeed in your own life. And I want to make sure that, that we 
I mean, she's four, so it's not like I'm, she's like doing that much stuff now, but like, I, I just, as she gets older, I want to make sure to give her the opportunities to do things that make her happy as well as getting to travel with us and, and, you know, seeing concerts and, and it's, yeah, she's got a, she's got a pretty good life. Yeah. There. Well, I'm sure, I sure hope that our paths cross next summer. I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. Oh, they, yeah, they, de- they definitely other. will. And again, go check out all this amazing new music. Go, go check out. Eva's new record, Age of Apathy, so much great stuff. Phoenix, that's on the new record, right? I love, I that love that one. Record, that's yeah. got like this, like kind of like, like Nick Drake, almost like cadence to the vocal, and really, who pro- oh, who produced thanks. this this new record? Joe Henry produced the okay. record. Uh, that was a very cool experience. Do you know Joe? Do you I know don't. his work. He he's worked with like Bonnie Raitt and Solomon okay. Burke, and he's he's a total badass. Um, he's a songwriter, LA guy who just moved to Maine. Um, so he was sort of the the glue. He hired all the musicians, and we did it all remotely. So um, it was one of those you know COVID records of I recorded my parts and sent them to Jay Bellarose, and he sent them yeah. back and folded it in, sent them to the bass player. You know, well, it came out. It, really it came cool. out amazing. Huge congrats. Thanks, Chris. And thank you. It's been so fun having you on the podcast, Aoife. You're Thank you for yeah, having you're, me. You're a gem and your your stuff. It's just been so awesome to see your career unfold and all this amazing music. And I'm proud to call you a sister. Oh, thank you. That's really it's great to see your face and thanks for all the kind words and support. Absolutely. I'm right back at you. Absolutely. Ya. All right. We'll check Aoife's stuff out and Hopefully that we will uh, hopefully we'll cross paths sooner rather than later. Awesome. All right. Talk soon. Thanks, Chris. That's a wrap on this episode of Inside the Musician's Brain. Thank you all so much for tuning in today. Huge thanks to our amazing guest, Aoife O'Donovan. Check out her new record, Age of Apathy. Huge thanks to our sponsors this season, Orvis and Artist Works. Make sure you check them out. As always, we are brought to you by Osiris Media and Americana Vibes. I'll be back in two weeks with the next episode, which is going to be very banjo-centric, featuring a very special guest, the one and only, the legendary Mr. Bela Fleck. Thanks for listening. Head over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. It helps like you would not believe. And I'll see you back here in two weeks when we go back inside the musician's brain. Osiris. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.